Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to be with all our friends in Milford and everyone online who's dry and everyone here at Nashua who's a little wet. Big shout out to our parking team here today going above and beyond. If we haven't met, I'm Dave and serve here as one of our pastors. And today I'd like just to talk with you about what God's will for your life is. How many have wondered that before? What does God want me to do with my life? What is my purpose? Who's wondered that maybe even in the last couple of weeks? Maybe things are not going the way that you'd want, or perhaps it feels like things are just not aligning like they once did, and you start to raise this question, God, what am I supposed to do? Or maybe you're not asking God, you're just curious about the overall direction of your life and where it's going and maybe where you wish it was going. I believe learning God's will is not this elusive thing. We can often go through all kinds of strange rituals to try and figure out what God would want us to do. We often think it's kind of like trying to hit the bullseye of a target. And if God really is, if, if we're really listening to God, it's like we hit that bullseye. But if we're missing it, then somehow we're further out from God's will than we would like to be. And that's a lot of pressure. That can be a crushing weight over all the different options many of us have for what we do with our life, with how we spend our time, to figure out what that one single thing would be. Is that really God's will for us? To feel so much pressure to find just that maybe one narrow path for us to follow? Or perhaps God's will for us is more about our relationship with Him and even what we do for him. What if that's possible? What if that's true? Today, we're going to look all about how we can discover God's will. But I'm going to give you one principle here to begin. If you want to know what God wants you to do next, do today what you already know God wants you to do now. If you want to know what God wants you to do next, do today what he, you know he's called you to do today. And what has God called you to do Today, how can you be faithful to God today? Well, I believe what God's inviting all of us to, what's his will for every single person who is living, who's ever lived, is that we might live the with God life. That we would live interactively in a conversational friendship and relationship with God, living our lives the way Jesus would do it if he was you. God's will for your life is that you become more and more like Jesus. The more like Jesus you become, the more you're going to discover that best version of yourself that many of us are aspiring toward. So do today what you already know God wants you to do now, and that will best position you to discern what God is going to have you do next. So today I want us to look at how we can get in on this with God life that we were made for, because that is God's will for your life. If you're just joining with us, this year we're going through a series called The With God Journey, through the Bible, through the year, in hopes that we would get the message through us. And we believe on every big portion of Scripture, God is inviting us to live this with God life. And so today, we're in the seventh book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. This is our part two of three messages on the book of Judges. And we'll be looking at a person whose life, I think, is far more relatable to ours than we realize. It's a person named Gideon. He has a lot of the same insecurities that we might have. He has a lot of the same questions for God that we often wrestle with. And I believe we can learn a lot by tracking his story for how we can learn to live our story better. 
And I believe Gideon's life is going to show us three steps we can take to get in on the with God life that we were made for. First, we're to accept God's call. God is a caller who is calling you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. So how might you accept and embrace the call God has for your life today? Secondly, we've got to discern God's voice. What is God saying versus what's the world saying or what I'm thinking or feeling? How can I tell the difference? And then third, we've got to take a step of obedience to follow God's lead. To follow God's lead. So we'll look through three key scenes from Gideon's life from Judges 6 through 8. And as we do, be listening for the invitation God has for you to accept his call, discern his voice, and follow his lead. So we're going to begin in Judges chapter 6, and we'll start with verse 11. But if you weren't here last week, let me just give you a little preview, a little rewind, or recap, I should say, of what the whole book of Judges is all about. One of the key themes of Judges is that people are doing what is right in their own eyes. That's how the chapter and the, the whole book ends, everyone doing what is right in their own eyes. And when we do what's right in our eyes, we end up doing what's evil in God's eyes. And when we're doing what's not right in God's eyes, what happens? Chaos starts to ensue. And as things get really, really low, really, really bad, that's when people eventually cry out to God for help. And God's grace, will always, God will always respond with his grace. He will always send help. He will always send, send rescue. Even when things are in the most dire of straits, he will come when we cry out. And then God will help reestablish peace as we trust and follow him. So we've gone through several cycles of this pattern in Judges uh, chapters 1 through 5. We've met judges like Othniel and Deborah. And now we're going to get to hear how Gideon is going to be raised up in an unlikely way to help God's people find the peace and freedom that they lost. But God, through his grace and forgiveness, wants to give them again. So if you would, and if you're able, let's stand as we hear God's word from Judges chapter 6. I'll read from verses 11 to 24 to get us started here this morning. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizarite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you. And you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none. Gideon replied, If now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Please don't go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. Gideon went inside, prepared a young goat, and from an ephah of flour he made bread without yeast. Putting the meat in a basket and in its broth in a pot, he brought them out and offered them to him under the oak. 
Then the angel of God said to him, Take the meat and unleavened bread, place them on the rock, and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread with the tip of a staff that was in his hand. Fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread. And then the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Alas, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, The Lord is Peace. And to this day, it stands in Ophrah of the Bezerites. These are God's very words from Judges. You may be seated. So in this text, we see that thread woven throughout the tapestry of Scripture, explicit again. God is with us, this with God life. It's what we were made for, called to. And living in God's will means we choose a with God life instead of a without God life or a God sometimes kind of life when it works for our preferences and desires, a with God life. But I really appreciate Gideon's honesty. And when we pray, we don't have to pretend. We don't have to act like we're holier than we are. We just need to bring our honest selves with respect before God. And so as this angel saying, God is with you, Gideon is kind of protesting a little bit here. Excuse me, pardon me, but if God is with us, why has all this happened to us? Ever wonder that? You're in church on Sunday, we proclaim a message like this, and then just throughout the week, News story after news story, disappointment after disappointment, trial after hardship after trial after hardship. If God's really with us, why does my life look the way that it does? Why is our country, our people, the way that we are right now? That's what Gideon is asking. Now, before where we read in verse 10, the answer to this is given. The people did not listen to God. They didn't listen to God. God wants kind of this life of us to have a life with peace, but when we choose to live our own way instead of his way, the consequences of disconnecting ourselves from the life-giving resources of God is we're not going to have the resources that bring life, and we're going to default to, to weakness and vulnerability and often chaos in our lives. That started all the way back in Genesis 3, and that's what also we experience here and today. I think we live in a day and age where we want to do what we want and not have to experience the negative consequences of those actions. It's been said that people desire to choose their conditions and reject the consequences. But that's just impossible. You cannot choose the conditions of your life. You cannot choose to disobey God and somehow reject the consequences of that. So the people, as this book of Judges talks about, over and over again, are merely reaping what they have sowed. God has given them over to their desire to have a without God life. And here's the result. But as they've cried out, now God is going to raise up Gideon to deliver them. So the Lord turned to him and says, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon says, How can I save Israel? I mean, look around you. I'm like the least in my family and like the worst of the different clans or tribes. I'm nobody. You have got the wrong guy, the wrong person. 
Do you ever feel like God called you to something that you were completely not ready for or ever think, there's no way God could be asking me to do this? I'm too old. I may be too young. I may be too busy. Maybe I'm not talented or educated enough or whatever those insecurities that somehow replay in our mind again and again, they're not God's voice. They're the enemy's voice. But those are the things that keep us from listening to the call of God. Let me tell you a couple stories of how I feel like I have almost been in a very similar situation with Gideon where I'm protesting about what it seems like God is calling me to. When I was 15 years old is when I really gave my life to Christ. I had grown up in kind of a uh, loosely kind of Christian you know, environment and uh, very much like a kind of civil religious context is where I grew up in western Pennsylvania. And so I knew about God but hadn't really trusted Him. And I lived between... Uh, small Presbyterian church where my family was involved, and then an Italian Pentecostal church up on the hill. I wasn't uh, Pentecostal, and Ripper is not an Italian last name, but my eyes were dark enough, my hair was maybe dark enough, they said, you can be Ripperino and you can kind of be involved in our youth group. And so I really came to know Christ personally in around age 15 at that, in that youth ministry, knowing I could live this with God life. But I still stayed involved in my Presbyterian church, and very soon I got called to ministry, got to preach my first sermon when I was 15, and it was just an exciting thing. And after around basketball season my sophomore year, there was a person from the, from the Presbyterian church that was saying, Dave, I think you should start a youth group here at our church for a lot of these preteens. And I said, ah, oh, can't do it, you know, basketball season is ahead, and, uh, you know, maybe when it's over, I'll think about it. Thought I'd kind of dodge that one. Basketball season ends. Same person comes back. Dave, you know, I think you should really start this, this youth group. Now, what's going through my mind is I am definitely not qualified for this. I know I'm called to be a pastor someday, but like in eighth grade, which is like less than two years ago, I mean, I just acquired 36 detentions. You want me to start to have responsibilities for other, you know, young, impressionable lives? Like, I know I'm on a better track than I certainly was back in eighth grade, but has enough time elapsed for me to really do this? And person after person was affirming, yes, you should. And we got a great uh, kind of preteen youth group off the ground by, by God's grace. But one of the big things standing in my way was this thought that not enough time has elapsed. You might be sensing God calling you towards something to serve in some way, but when you think about where you've been, or maybe you've not been here at our church long enough to plug in, and you think, maybe I should just let a little bit more time elapse before I really jump in. I would tell you, God is calling you, and you should accept God's call. Take that next step. Don't wait. If God is leading you, follow, follow. When I was in that youth group, and then I got some more opportunities to speak in my you know, teenage years in different places, the line I always defaulted to, which remind me, reminded me of this moment of being called to something I was not ready for. You maybe heard this line before. I used to love to preach it. was, God does not call the equipped. He what? He equips the called. There we go. Yeah. He equips the called. You're not ready, and you'll never be fully ready for what God might want to do. But he does not just simply call those who are ready. He equips those who will live life with him and take that next step of obedience toward him. So where's God calling you? How might you embrace that call? One more story a little bit more recently. A lot of you guys know I've been the chaplain of the Bruins for the, for the last uh, 
eight seasons. And when we were first getting this off the ground, I can remember, and I've shared the story before, but it bears repeating. We're sitting in their old uh, parking lot of their old practice facility in Wilmington, Massachusetts. Uh, one of the players who I was friends with and helped me align this is like, at this time, you're going to come to this back part of the hockey arena. There's this like gray door back here. You're going to knock on this door. Security guy will let you in, and then you'll have to wait around a little bit, but eventually there'll be some of us coming, and we'll be able to do chapel. I'm like, I think I got that. And then when I'm sitting there, and I'm like looking at the whole scene, and I'm like, you know, I typically don't follow directions to go to back doors of places and knock on them. This is a little sketchy. Not only does this feel a little weird, but all of my insecurities started to rise up. Like, I've never played ice hockey in my life. You've got the wrong guy here, God. Uh, I, I don't look like a professional athlete. I feel all my physical insecurities are starting to, like, emerge. I'm from Pittsburgh, so I've been a Penguins fan, like, my whole life. You know, I think you've got the, the wrong guy. And I am trying to talk myself out of doing this thing that God's called me to do. And then I really felt I heard Jesus' voice very clear in my, it was a, it was a text of Scripture, just I feel like the Spirit re-prompted in my heart to help me remember, my grace is sufficient for you because my power is made perfect in weakness. My power is unleashed in weakness. So if you're feeling weak, you're feeling ill-equipped, you're feeling insecure, that might be the exact posture that God is looking for you if you're willing to say yes to Him because that's how His power can move through our weakness. So say yes to God, accept His call. Gideon starts to do this, but then he has a little bit of his own doubts. He looks for a sign. I think you want me to do this, God, but could you just give me a sign? It'd make me feel a whole lot better. So as we read earlier, he gets a sign while this offering is burned up and consumed. But he looks for another sign. And this is a way of him discerning God's voice. Let's read. Uh, this is a very well-known kind of part of Judges and Gideon's life, chapter 6, verses 36 to, uh, to 40. Let's read how Gideon is looking for a sign to confirm that God really is calling him. So Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece, and all the ground is dry, then I know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And that is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowlful of water. Then Gideon said to God, Do not be angry with me. Let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece. But this time, make the fleece dry and all the ground be covered with dew. That night God did so. Only the fleece was dry and all the ground was covered with dew. Now Gideon's assured God is speaking to him. He has heard his voice correctly and now he's going to act. This is one of those parts of the Bible that I think we sometimes misapply. If Gideon put out this fleece, and I'm just picturing old navy fleeces, you know, that are either wet or dry out here. It's not exactly the image you should have in mind, but uh, that's how my mind sometimes operates. We think that maybe we should try and put things out here for God to give us signs as well. And I think this text is not prescribing that we do this as much as it's describing how God met Gideon where he was 
and helped him take his next step rather than something we should be doing ourselves. And here's why I kind of hesitate to prescribe kind of doing something similar. We ask God for signs. God is a personal God. He wants an interactive, conversational relationship with you. God is not some force that is off in the distance who is like playing these games, leaving out all these clues for us that we're trying to be like on a mystery to solve, to figure out His will. When we think of God in those terms, I think we often default to having a superstitious kind of faith rather than a personal relationship with God. We think if I do this and I can maybe manipulate the forces of the universe or manipulate God to do what I would want. And rather, God wants us to talk with him about the decisions that we're facing or that we have. So I want to talk about what I would say is a better way to discern God's voice. And discern, if you're not sure what that word means, it's kind of a shift, sifting through multiple options to find the right thing. Like, should I tell this dad joke in the midst of my sermon? Well, if it's a dad joke, then the answer is always yes, uh, you should. That's discernment, okay? That's discernment. So here's one of the best principles of discernment I've ever heard. Discernment, by definition, is practicing a preference for God. Practicing a preference for God. As opposed to practicing a preference for my wants or my desires or practicing a preference for pleasing other people. Discernment is about practicing a preference for God. We have a, we're, our heart and our ears are attuned to God. What would you have me say? What would you have me do this very moment? And discernment is not just for these big moments. We're facing a, a crossroads. Should I do this or should I do that? Discernment is kind of like a, a muscle that we can cultivate and flex. It's something that as we do it in the small moments, we're now better equipped when there's big decisions facing us. So a great discernment question could be, how would Jesus live his life if he was me here and now? If he was going to take over my life at this very moment, how would he listen to this message? How would he engage God's word? What would he do after church? What would he give his attention to? And moment by moment, we try and practice a preference for what God would want rather than what we would want. And as we do that in smaller moments, we're becoming strengthened and better equipped to hear God and discern rightly when we have those bigger decisions. So what are some factors that can go into discerning God's voice? Here's three key factors kind of people throughout church history have kind of described. Our circumstances, impressions of the Holy Spirit, and Scripture. Circumstances, is a door opening or a door closing? Impressions of the Spirit. Do I feel like my heart is burning inside me that I should do this thing or not? Is God leading me toward it or steering me away from it? And then Scripture. We want to anchor ourselves in what the Scriptures really say. Sometimes there's a verse for it. So let's go back to my illustration with starting the youth group. So we got that going, and then it's the summer before my, soft, my, before my junior year. Uh, I was set up to be the starting point guard of our varsity team, which was a very small school, so not very impressive and not that good of a team. So that's the only reason I was set up for that. But now it's like if I play basketball, what happens to the youth group? So I was faced with a really big decision. What do I do here? My coach ended up moving on. And so one of the first circumstances was there. Wow, the same coach is not going to be there. If they hire his assistant, boy, I definitely want to play for him. But if they don't, 
You know, kind of like Gideon. Maybe that's a sign I should move on and continue with the youth group. They don't hire the assistant. And so now it's like, huh, maybe I should not play. Now, sometimes discernment is not just between right and wrong. Sometimes it's about what's not just permissible or beneficial. Sometimes it's about what's good and what's best. Both of these things were good things. But what was the best thing? So then I started to sense, what's the impression of the Spirit God had for me? I felt like it was toward the youth group, but as I started to think of all the people that would be really disappointed in me, including lots of my members and my family if I didn't play basketball, really caused me to wrestle, should I do this or not? And then I thought about scriptures, and you know, back in those days when I'm 16, I'm just kind of like floating through the scriptures, kind of the drop and plot method, and what might God say here, looking a little bit about superstition, and there's a great line that Paul has to Timothy, preach the gospel in season and out of season. So I was like, oh, I'm preaching it out of season. It's not basketball season, so maybe in season, maybe I should still do it somehow there too. Those three weren't quite aligning for me like I would want. I've since learned what I think is even a better way. Here's three key steps, I think, rather than putting out a fleece and beyond looking at trying to discern the circumstances that we can really know what God wants us to do. Here's number one. Ask God directly. Should I do this or should I not do this? Most of the time, we never actually just ask God. We think He just wants us to figure it out. But God wants us to converse with Him about things that matter deeply to Him. Ask God. And then set a deadline. I honestly recommend about 10 days to just wait and see if God speaks to you and gives you an answer. A lot of times He will. Sometimes He won't. So if He doesn't, then that second point that we had up there was ask yourself, is there something in my life that's inhibiting me from hearing God clearly? So go back to my youth group or basketball illustration. As I started to think about what's inhibiting me from hearing God clearly, it was my fear of disappointing people around me. Fear is what was keeping me from hearing God clearly. So I acknowledge I'm afraid of how I will be disappointing people, how I might get criticized if I stick with the, with the youth group and now I was doing music and playing in a band and getting other speaking things. People, I am afraid of what people will say if I do what I believe God's calling me to do. That was revealed to me. And so then I asked that question again, God, what should I do? And it was very clear, you should continue on with the youth group and, and this other ministry that I've given you early on in life. But sometimes, we'll ask God directly. We'll see if there's, and He doesn't say anything. Sometimes we'll see if there's anything inhibiting my ability from hearing God, and sometimes there's not. So third, God will sometimes just let you choose. And perhaps part of His plan for forming you into becoming a more Christ-like person and leader and kingdom influencer is that you have to go through the wrestling process of making that decision. And God's not so much interested necessarily in what you choose is that you go with the pattern of choosing with Him. And I believe, as I've really practiced this the last dozen and a half years or so since discovering this kind of method, God is not a God of confusion. God is a God of clarity. And God is speaking and He wants to hear. He wants you to hear Him and to follow Him. So discerning the will of God is not just to know what God wants you to do. It's actually to take that step of faith in doing it. 
So we accept God's call, we discern his voice, and then thirdly, we follow God's lead. Let me just wrap up by telling some of the story of how Gideon was able to do this. Chapter 7, this is a pretty wild story here. We'll start in verse 2. Then the Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. They're going to face these Midianites. They're going to do it at night. Uh, And here's what's happening. They're going to go up against them at night. You have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. Imagine how dejecting that must have felt as a leader. Two-thirds of your army, gone. But he's going to continue to trust God. What happens next? But the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will thin them out for you there. That sounds encouraging. If I say, this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say, this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who, uh, from those who kneel down to drink. 300 of them drank from cupped hands, lapping like dogs. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. And you wonder, if you're getting down with your knees to drink and you see people lapping like dogs, what do you think they said to them? Looks like they have a drinking problem, uh, lapping like dogs. Bad joke. Anyways, keep moving on. Then the Lord said, with the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but kept the 300 men who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. So the army has decreased by 99%. Now you're going to go up and face this huge army. And here's how the God works. Verse 20, the three companies of 100 men each blew the trumpets they had, smashed the jars God gave them, grasped the torches in their hands, and holding in their right hands the trumpets while they were to blow. They shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Midian. And while each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites, thousands of them, ran, crying out as they fled. Can't make this kind of stuff up, can you? What a story, what a testament of what God did in and through Gideon as he accepted his call, discerned his voice, and followed his lead as maybe as irrational as it sounded. But God wants us to learn to trust him, to live life with him. And as we trust him and we get in on what God is doing, he can do some powerful things in and through us. Now, I wish Gideon's life had a good ending, but it doesn't. As he gets power, he has tons of wives, has lots of children. He doesn't allow himself to be made king because he does still acknowledge only God could be king. But while he drove out the idolatrous practices in the promised land to start his life, he ends up in chapter 8 allowing a golden kind of ephod or, or statue to be built and people worshiped it in egregious ways. And his life kind of ends as a tragedy. It's ambiguous which gives me a really important thing that we all need to take note of. Beware of the runaway ego. As you start to see God do more and more things through you and be used by you, it's easy to think I'm the one who's doing it rather than God. We can go from trying to practice a preference for God to practicing a preference for self. And yet, despite 
Gideon's tragic ending to his life, the book of Hebrews still acknowledges that he is a man of faith, which is God's grace. But Gideon's life, with all of its highs, with its really low end, reminds us that no matter how great a hero the Bible is, there's only one hero who is truly a hero, who is truly great, and that is Jesus. Jesus is the one who accepted the hardest call for us, leaving his place on God's and the throne of heaven to come take on human flesh. He is the one who discerned God's voice by praying, not my will, but yours be done. He followed God's lead ultimately to the cross and to the resurrection so that everyone everywhere could have access to God to live a with God life, that we could accept the calling God has for us to discern his voice and follow his lead. And as we do that, we can get in on what God is doing. And there is no greater purpose for our lives than to join God in what he is up to, to help this world be more like heaven and less like hell. You are called, and this is God's will for you. And so may we pursue that now, because as we do, we can trust that we will know God's will for what is next. Amen? Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your grace. Even though when we make a mess of our own stories, when we do things our way instead of yours, that you give us an opportunity to return again and again and again. Lord, I want to pray against the work of the enemy who tells us we're too something, too broken, too, too old, too young, not big enough, not smart enough, not wise enough, not articulate enough, whatever it might be. I pray that you would remove any of the obstacles that would stand in our way of hearing your voice and following your lead. We want what you want, God. So lead and guide us for your name's sake, for your greater glory, for the good of our world around us, and for our joy. And it's in Christ's name that everyone prayed together and said, amen.